everyone has a definition of what a metaverse is. You know, um, we define it as a virtual social shared space. I'm like, guys, I just want to be a kid again. <laughs> <laughs> make hay when the sun shines, yes. you know, so make sure you are pivoting and you're doing as much as possible when you can. Hi everyone, and welcome to this episode of the podcast in partnership with Smartcast and the Jahi Events. More about them later. Now the metaverse is something that we're all getting a little bit confused by, but imagine somebody that's focus is to try and make the metaverse more human. Well, that's exactly what happened to me when I went to his office last week to understand exactly what Vault Hill within the metaverse do. Today's guest is Jimmy Dowdu. He's the founder and CEO of Vault Hill. And he wants to make the metaverse feel more human for all of us. So I can't wait to get into this interview. Let's cue the music. Our sponsors are Smartcast, who are trying to solve the food security problem that exists in this world. We've got soil erosion, we've got climate change, and we have to look at different ways to produce crops so that those crops can feed the ever-growing population. And it's a really important issue. So go check out Smartcast Tech, S-M-A-R-T-K-A-S-T-E-C-H on Instagram. Give them a follow, look at their journey, look at what these wonderful people are doing to try and make the world a better place for all of us. Najahi Events have been a sponsor of ours since the very beginning. They bring motivational speakers, inspirational leaders here into the Middle East so that we can learn, develop ourselves and grow. Good examples of that are people like Tony Robbins, Grant Cardone, Gary Vaynerchuk. All of these big names come through Najahi Events. They've supported me and I would like you to support them. So go give them a follow at Najahi Events, N-A-J-A-H-I Events, E-V-E-N-T-S and uh, learn about what they're doing because there's some value in there for all of us. We're here to talk about Vault Hill, yeah. okay, your business, and talk about crypto, the metaverse, and what's going on out there at the moment. And obviously, as we're recording this right now, we've seen uh, a massive decrease in the price of all of these coins, whether they be the stable coins, the altcoins, the big coins, the small coins, everything's gone kind of like very negative over recent time, 50% down over six months. And so there's lots of kind of concern and fear yep. and people yep. have lost money. And my, my, my big issue with the, the, the crypto space is that a lot of people got involved in crypto, yeah. like momentum investors, you know, they wait for something to perform really well and they're like, oh, I better get some of that. FOMO. And now, FOMO, yeah. And they, and, and they really don't understand what they're buying, what they're buying into. And so what I wanna try and do today is give people a bit of an education yeah. through your business and what yeah. you do, okay? So what I want to do is dumb it down a little bit, okay? okay? But I also wanna go into a bit of depth with it. Is that okay with yeah, you? Yeah, absolutely fine. Okay, so let's t tell me a bit about Vault Hill, how it started, what it is, and then let's talk about the metaverse. Okay, um, so Vault Hill is the world's first human-centric metaverse. And what do I mean by that? Um, let's actually unpack it in a number of ways. You know, let's start with human centricity and then we'll pivot into metaverse and then, you know, what we do and how we bring that together. So when we talk about human centricity, you know, we're talking about the things that make you and I human, you know, so things like, you know, romance, play, vitality, idealism, creativity, community and the likes. And we've looked through 13 basic human instincts and picked seven out of that. So our model, the way we build the metaverse is based on these seven human instincts, right? 
And for us, when we talk about this, is working with brands, customers, content creators, consumers in each of these human instinct themed districts, right? So if I take vitality, for example, what does that mean to be human centric in the metaverse in vitality? So we're working with a fitness app company in Hong Kong called Today Fit, where we're building a meditation and wellness center for them in the metaverse. So their consumers, their customers, their investors, their stakeholders can jump into a VR headset and experience Today Fit in our metaverse. So we provide that platform for that interaction socially. And again, it's wellness, it's mindfulness, it's meditation, all of that good stuff that we need, you know, in our day-to-day today. And then if we then unpack the metaverse, you know, everyone has a definition of what a metaverse is. You know, um, we define it as a virtual social shared space where computer generated um, environments can interact with ourselves in the virtual world. So you jump in to a virtual reality headset or have an augmented reality phone or a mixed reality headset. Again, the hardware technology is advancing at the speed of light. Like Spencer, it is unbelievable. Like Apple just released a couple of updates, I think yesterday, you know, Meta is doing stuff in the world, you know, Lenovo, Magic Leap, a lot of companies are spending billions of dollars in research and development on the infrastructure to power the metaverse, you know, so again, coupling these two together, humanity, the technology into the metaverse is what we're propagating at Vault Hill. So why does the metaverse matter? I mean, so many people out there are, are learning about this, but you know, my dad's 77 years old and he's like, yeah, no idea. And I'm not interested. I've just worked out what YouTube is. And okay, so he's one end of the spectrum. Yeah, he's old. And you take um, someone like me, who's 52 years old. And I'm like, how am I going to use the metaverse in my everyday life? Yeah. And then I think about my kids who are 20 and 22. And they've grown up a lot with technology and online gaming and stuff like that. They've seen that kind of stuff. And so the conversation around the metaverse seems much more fluid with them. So how will it, you know, I'm 52 years old. How is it going to benefit me? So again, it's like taking you back to the early 90s when the internet started kicking off, right? And again, folks at that demographic in terms of age, race, country, whatever it is, felt the same way you know, how would the internet benefit me? You know, I pick up the phone, I talk to someone or I fly somewhere to see someone, you know, again, the internet brought that advancement in how we communicate, how we learn, how we socialize. The metaverse is doing the same. So rather than you being outside of the internet, now you're in the internet, immersed in in the internet and taking all of those steps. Now, if you look at statistics within learning, there's a lot of studies out there. I can't remember which of the the research houses quoted this, but learning with virtual reality improves retention rate by about 26% than the classroom, right? So you have benefits in that. Working out with virtual reality um, headsets or virtual reality devices um, reduces stress and in- improves calorie burns and all of that good stuff. So there are a lot of benefits with all of these technologies as they come about. And to your point, I mean, my dad is five years younger than your dad. And when I started this, you know, 
it took me a while to explain it to him. He's, he's computer savvy, right? But it took me a while to explain it to him and invested. And I kid you not, the, the, the first time we distributed tokens, I had to be on a call with him for 30 minutes to tell him, hey, you have a trust wallet. All right, dad, we've sent it to you. You need to add the contract address of the token. You need to do this. So again, trying to break it down. It's not the most easy industry. We all agree. And part of what we're doing at Voltil is looking at it from a human-centric perspective with user experience, UX, to say, okay, how do we get this accessible, right? How do we make this more user-friendly? How do we demystify the terminologies, all the acronyms, the complex words? It's not easy because it's all complex technology, right? But it's not taking a step back, educating people. A lot of our mantra, a mantra of Voltil is about education. You know, we're here on the Spencer Lodge podcast talking about metaverse to educate people around what we're doing. Um, we're having conversations with Canadian University Dubai to set up another podcast on corporate training and add to their curriculum eventually around blockchain, NFTs and metaverse. So for us, it's all about education. That's where you bring adoption. You know, the more you can explain it, the more you can get people to understand, oh, this is how it differs. Oh, this is the difference. Wow. OK, I get it now. It's interesting you say that and it kind of like triggered something in my mind then because you said about the user experience. And to me, if you think about kids that have been learning, they've been in the classroom. If they had a, a science teacher, then they'd be on a, a bench and there'd be, you know, the Bunsen burners and all that kind of stuff going on. Very interactive. Yeah. And then COVID came yeah. and then everyone moved online to virtual classes, essentially yeah. on Zoom. Yeah. And the level of attention went down, the yeah. level of engagement went down, the, the level of patience for, for the, the teachers and the students went down. And overall, it didn't work. Yeah. Okay, people would much rather be in the classroom, Absolutely. okay, experiencing it. So, if we take that example, the yeah. virtual world essentially is someone who's on a screen talking at you. The user experience of going into the metaverse is essentially going to take me with whatever device I have on yeah. into into that classroom. Yeah. Literally into that classroom again, but from my home. Correct. I think a lot of people don't don't really grasp that. There are a lot of people out there that are, have seen this kind because of, education's a good example. Yeah. I'm in a classroom, I'm now sat on a laptop. Yeah. Okay. I hate sitting on a laptop for eight hours a day. How can you expect kids to sit and stay there? But if you then take the next step and the kids were doing their class where they felt they were immersed yeah. in that subject, in that class, they were engaged because of that, that whole user experience to me yeah. is where it's going to be, it's going to be the biggest difference and the biggest level of adoption. Absolutely. And I think that we can take UX when we think about apps, can't we? You know, yeah. it takes something as simple as, as Uber. The easier it is to use, the more you're going to use it. Correct. Okay. And, and so it becomes very natural that, you know, my, my got two daughters, one's got a car and passed a driving test. Okay. She wanted to drive. She's 22 now. Yeah. Got my youngest one, who's 20 now, she didn't pass a test. Okay, and she's looking at me. She's like, "Why do I need a car? Can I have your Uber account, Dad?" <laughs> and because that's just very naturally very easy yeah. for her, you know. That, yeah. That's you know, frictionless, you yeah. know. Car parking, petrol. <laughs> like, why? I can just get in somebody else's car and not have to worry about <laughs> absolutely, it. Absolutely, absolutely. So essentially, if people are going to invest in the metaverse yeah. and know what the metaverse is and like know what they're investing in, essentially, the better and better that user experience is the easier it's going to be for somebody to be there, correct? Absolutely, absolutely. And you're spot on with that example of how we pivoted from the classroom to 
online, I wouldn't call it virtual, I call it online learning. And then the next phase feels like it's virtual learning, which again is a subset of the metaverse, right? So one of the things, you know, to consider is the impact of COVID, right? Mentally, you know, working parents had to quickly, you know, jump into a new routine where, you know, you wake up, you get your kids ready for online class and you get yourself ready for work. And, you know, your kids could be right here on the same table with you learning, making noise, and you're in a Zoom call with your office. So again, the dynamics was just very, very complex, right? People weren't prepared for it. Even the teachers, the schools, learning institutions had to quickly pivot, right? Now, what we're doing in the metaverse is starting to work through those and get people prepared, right? I keep saying to everyone I speak to, a lot of reasons why we're focusing on education is that is the fundamental place where people learn. So, and I keep saying this, we will start to see a greater adoption when universities or colleges or institutions start to charge or start to add as part of their expenses to running universities, the cost of a hardware or AR, um, virtual reality or augmented reality hot headsets. Okay, right? but hold on a minute here, because every single time, yeah. without exception, that I've put an Oculus or equivalent yeah. headset on, yeah. including in your office the other day, yeah. it doesn't work straight away. Right. So that not only is the kind of like the hardware quite cumbersome, yeah. okay, but it's, you've got to learn how to navigate it and it doesn't always work. And like you were saying, what can you see? Where's the evolution of that? So this, this, this analogy is perfect with the floppy disk and the computers, right? Started off with, I can't remember what it was, pre-floppy. And a couple of people are like, what is floppy disk? Basically, that's where we are. So that went from the big one to the floppy where you had 1.4 MB of storage. Imagine just having 1.4 MB of storage. And then we went to the CDs, you had 700 MBs. You then went to the flash drives where you had 2 gigs, 3 gigs. And now you have the cloud, unlimited storage. So again, that was the evolution of storage and, you know, media disk space. That is where we are right now. You know, this technology has been around for the past 20 odd years, right? And companies have been experimenting, researching and developing. However, you still need to bear in mind that there is a cost element to this, right? If it's not profitable, a company is just going to bin it, right? So the wave of... Facebook changing the name to Meta and saying, hey, this is where we're pivoting to, has started driving that drum roll of this is where it's going to. Advancement from a technological perspective is coming here. So back to your question, we're in the evolution of the floppy. We're still going to get to the CD where the devices are going to be very compact, just like my eyeglasses and your eyeglasses. And then we get to a point whereby it's all intuitive, right? You know, I don't need to tell you, hey, Spencer, what can you see? It's all, the experience is great, just like how you pick up a phone and you're able to navigate around. So that's where we're going to. And I feel like that will be achieved within the next three to five years. It might come sooner. But again, you know, that is the evolution of, of the metaverse and the technology in the space. So should people be investing then in companies that create the hardware? So good, good shout or good, good. So again, just like with everything, again, I'm not here to give investment advice, you know. No, 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 of course. Um, 
investment is always a risk. You know, it's something of choice. Again, if you look at the, the, the layers of the metaverse, you know, there's the hardware, there's the software, there's the infrastructure, there's the communication driver, there's 5G, there's the headset, there's the, the, the software as a platform, you know, the metaverse, there's the NFT tied to it as virtual land, you know, depending on use case. Um, th there are a lot of layers, right? So what I would encourage people to do is uh, D-Y-O-R, which means do your own research. However, they're, they're, cause it's complex, right? It's new. Um, a couple of companies are doing well in the space. Do some research to understand the layers and how it fits together. And when you're comfortable, you know, research more on companies providing services in those spaces and then make a choice on, on investment. Okay. When we, when we look at an NFT, yeah. an NFT, whether that be tokenized for a parcel of land or whatever it might be, the fact is an NFT is 99% or maybe a little bit less, you'll tell me this, priced in Ethereum. Yeah. There's, okay. What's the other one coming? Solana. Yeah, Solana. There's Polygon. There's, there's Solana, a lot of chains Polygon. now. Blockchains. Yeah. But 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 a lot of it has been historically. Yeah. In Ethereum. Yeah. So my NFT, regardless of what I think it's worth, is always going to be worth the the volatility that goes with Ethereum. Yes and no. Okay. Tell me why. Um, yes, in the sense that the wider crypto space is based on volatility, right? I feel like we still need some form of regulation within the space. And, you know, we're advocating for that. You know, there's the viral license that, you know, the Dubai government has instituted. We're on a call with them yesterday and, you know, reached out to them to say, hey, we're a company based in Dubai. We're building a metaverse. You know, we can work together and you guys can use us as a case study for this framework regulation. So again, it's contributing to the success of the industry as well, not just building and, you know, making money and all of that is how do we grow together within the space? Um, but but back to, to your question, the volatility is the yes part in the sense that a lot of NFTs are based on the Ethereum standard, whether it's be ERC721 or ERC1155, and apologies for the terminologies, they're just no, complex words. Yeah, <laughs> it, it's like, you know, it's like, you know, Word document or PDF or Excel okay. kind of standards, basically. <laughs> That's where the volatility comes in because it's still driven by transaction fees within the Ethereum ecosystem. However, the no is um, you could mint your NFT on various blockchains that are, you know, sustainable, you know, cost, uh, cost effective, not as high con um, transaction and cost fees like Ethereum, you know, Polygon, Clayton, Solana, the new one, a couple of new ones coming out. So again, it's choice. Um, but in in the general sense of things, every price is still going to be impacted or every product on the blockchain um, publicly facing, because you still have the private blockchains, publicly facing is impacted by the whole volatility of the crypto industry. When the, the barrier to entry yeah. is so low, in the NFT space in particular, does and and there's the opportunity for what should we describe it as um, the badder parts of our community to take advantage of that. Are people really playing a lottery when they buy NFTs? So it, it's a funny one. Again, it's a yes or no question, right? Yes, in the sense that a lot of I'd say seventy percent of people that buy NFTs just buy it because they see an NFT has gone. 5x, 10x, 20x, 100x, you know, in returns. And you're like, hey, I could lose 
a thousand, I could lose five hundred dollars. I'm just gonna chuck it. No, in the sense that some of these are well grounded projects and respected, and you know the team behind it is savvy. They have business acumen. They have development um, clout and all of that good stuff, right? And you buy into it because you believe in the project, right? So again, th there's a lot of nefarious activities going on yes with every industry not just the nft the banking traditional world they all go on right but for us it's trying to make sure the good overshadows the bad so that every analogy or any example of nfts are highlighted in a good space rather than in a bad space okay got it how did you get into this Ooh. good question i heard about blockchain crypto more more bitcoin and xrp XRP more. Um, back in 2017, I was working at Barclays at the time. We had a end of year party in December. I remember it vividly well. It was in December, somewhere in Canary Wharf. And one of my mates was saying, hey, you know, there's this app Coinbase, you know, I have a couple of coins. I bought this and, you know, within a two day period, you know, 20%, 30%. I was Stock market don't give you that in two days. <laughs> yeah. So I said, okay, hold on. He's like, I was like, how do I get involved? And he's like, oh, just download the app Coinbase, connect it to your um, debit card, and you transfer some funds and you can buy it. And I'm like, okay. So first thing I did was download Coinbase, right? Yeah. And the next thing I did was just check out, just Googled, because I think it was trying to sell me or tell me to buy Ripple XRP at the time or Litecoin, I can't remember. So I Googled both of them and I was like, okay what's this about and for me at some point I, I shouldn't be saying this publicly but at some point i started realizing stuff that don't make sense makes you money like stuff that you don't understand and people get in and there's a little bit of evidence around you know income gain and you know all of that stuff and i was like snap i, I missed out on some nanotech investment a couple of years ago um and i was like okay hey i'm hearing about blockchain crypto not really much and i'm like what is this so i was like okay 100 pounds um i could afford it let's drop that in bought some xrp and i bought it and i kid you not the next day i saw a 30 percent rise the next day 40 percent. the next day was double i was like hold on is this a scam what is this hold on i was tempted to put in more money but i did some research first and Apparently, I found out that out of all the cryptos that were the top 10 at the time, XRP had a use case, you know, in terms of remittance, yeah. me being from Nigeria, sending money back home. I understand the cost, the banks, and XRP was solving a cross-border payment problem. So I was like, okay, this makes more sense. All right, let's put some more money in it. I've done my research. Poof, put that in. So put 100 pounds was the first amount. What was the second oh, amount? Come on, hold on Spencer. <laughs> <laughs> I think I put in about a thousand Did and then you? another thousand. And then I spoke to my wife. <laughs> she put in some money too. Spoke to my friend. Like, I kid you not. I was literally uh, an organic brand ambassador of XRP for like <laughs> seven months. And then crypto happened. First time it happened. So I saw profits in three digits or four digits turn to minus something. And I was like, hold. Everybody on Twitter is like, H-O-D-L, hold, hold. And I'm holding and I'm seeing my money go down. I'm like, shit. And then I just left and I focused on my day job. And then the next year, 2018, 2019, um, I think Father's Day of that year, the missus got me a, a virtual reality headset. The one you put your phone on, I think it's called the Google Catboard. 
you put your phone on and then you know you're immersed and it felt good it felt like i was a child again i was like ah roller coaster this that and it was good and that parked for a while and next thing um later on that year i think late 2018 early 2019 virtual land came about you know decentraland somium space and i was like <sighs> XRP, I'm still, you know, nursing my losses. Well, I wouldn't call it losses because I didn't sell it, right? Um, but the decline when I saw profit and didn't take it. And then Virtual Line came about and I was like, okay, let's dabble into this. What's it? You know, Nigeria, you know, investment is more around stocks, mm -hmm. um, real estate, right? In Nigeria, there's zero to no mortgage available. So if you want to buy a a house or a lot of people build their houses or build yeah. their homes so you first start off with buying land you fence your land the guy's called omonile you know the people that have the land don't come in and you know um well the quote unquote have the land come in and disrupt and break things and just build their own stuff you know because um legal anything real estate law in nigeria is like ages and decades away so with that concept or construct of you know first buy land and you build i did the same with you know, land in the central land and some space. And I bought a couple, I think at the time it was about $200 and left that. I just land banked it. I was like, I, I didn't know what this was. I was like, I was just going with the flow again, money that I could afford to lose. And, you know, Hey, just went on back to my day job, focused hard. And then 20 fast forward to 2021 January, right? I got an email from OpenSea with, uh, an offer for one of the pieces of land. And I think it was going for about two Ethereum or three Ethereum. And at the time that was like about $10,000. I was like, hold on, hold on. Am I, How I much did you buy it for? $200. So $200 and someone offered you $10,000? Yeah, less than three years after. So I go, I, I, I first checked the sender of the email to make sure it was originally from OpenSea. I didn't click on any links. I went into, I can't remember, I think I had, the MetaMask wallet on one of the laptops and luckily I hadn't given that away, dusted it, plugged it, charged it, set it up and jumped into my account. And it was real. I saw it on two of the pieces of land. I think I had about six and I was like, okay, you know what? I'm just going to test this. Clicked on accept one. Um, there was a couple of gas fees. Um, it, it, the transaction didn't go through. I had to put Ethereum in, eventually did that, hit on it. And then I saw it in my wallet. I was like, hold on, okay. This looks real. Let's let's put it in my bank account so I know it's real. Converted it again, Web3, bless us. We're gonna make this easier, guys. <laughs> Converted it from my my MetaMask Ethereum to, I, can't remember, I think I used Uniswap to get that into USDC, then sent that to Coinbase and then converted from USDC to GBP and then redrew that money into my bank account. And then I, I saw it and I was like, it's real. <laughs> Come on. It's real. I gave my wife some of that money as well. She's smiling yeah. over there. <laughs> but for me, it was like, hold on. You know, again, it wasn't just that. It was more around within the blockchain space because I've been an investor. I've seen money. I've lost money. I've, I kind of understand the space because I follow crypto Twitter, yeah. you know. So again, when DeFi came out, I knew about that, you know, Metaverse came out and all of that. So for me, it was always, okay, what is, what is the next step? You know, I've always been entrepreneurial right from my university days, which, yeah, we talked about earlier, but hey, let's park that for another day. And for me, it was like, 
it just felt like, hey, Jimmy, this looks like the next thing. You know, let's let's just start building. So in February, same year, um, spoke to um, Nick, a very good friend of mine. We've known each other for almost 10 years now. Uh, we're on a consultant together. And I was like, Nick, we should do this. And he's like, Jimmy, you've come again with another idea. What is it this time? I'm like, hey, Nick, chill, chill. It's like blockchain crypto. It's like, I don't understand this shit. I don't have a wallet. I don't even know what Bitcoin. I hear everyone talking about it. It's like, Nick, just chill. So I broke it down, started writing a business plan. We started talking to more people that you know weren't necessarily in the crypto space. A lot of the founding team at Voltil were traditional folks, you know, and it took a lot of convincing. But again, the idea kind of sold itself as well. It wasn't like a fintech app or um, like one of those apps out there. It was like a project. It was virtual reality. Like everyone was also blown away by by it, you know. So th that's how Voltil started. And did you have to raise money? Yes. And how did that go? I could write a book about it. I kid you not. And tough. It was. It was. What was and the most tough thing about trying to raise money for your it, metaverse project? It was the communication, the availability, the the meetings, right? And we raise money differently, right? Conventionally, is equity, right? We raise money through a token sale, right? We did a little, very little bit of equity to friends and family, but it wasn't. So we started off with the equity equity round, you know talking to folks and people just didn't get it. Like we started talking to people as far the way back. you looked at me just then fascinated me. <laughs> so yeah, people just didn't get it. I don't think people get it now. And, and the notion of, you know, a lot of investors <laughs> invest in the team rather than the product or the numbers. Yeah, 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 yeah. For me, it was, it was just hard getting people to understand what this was about because they, they don't see that use case and application in their day-to-day. -day. We're talking about something that in the next five to 10 years, you know, hey, there's going to be a form of AR, VR, MR everywhere, right? Like proper adoption. And the equity conversations were just, I was just like, you know, I think we had over 30 conversations and what came out of that was, you know, maybe about 50,000 pounds. I'm like, I'm spending time talking to these people, potential investors, spending time with the team, still building. Because mm -hmm. I come from a tech background, I'm also involved heavily on the tech and the product, and then also trying to work out the marketing. And it was it was one of the toughest times in my life. And then um, we went to an event called DeFi Live. Um, we pitched Voltil as one of the, I think, five out of 300 startups. Um, we came second, but it wasn't even the position that mattered. It was the people in the room. And, you know, one of the people reached out to us two days later to say, hey, we have a lunch pad. What are you guys doing? You know, let's go through your stuff. You know, you could raise money through, you know, tokens and all of that, which we knew. Um, we had been working with one of the top 10 lunch pads, had about three meetings. We put all our, all our eggs in just that basket. And I remember it was half term. I think we went to... Snap, where did we go to that halftime? Somewhere up north, Butlins. And, um, you know, having a good time with the kids, had the last meeting, and then about coming back to, to Kent, got the news that, hey, they were interested. Like, I kid you not. Like, I wanted to jump. I wanted the floor to open and just swallow me. You know when you're working so hard for just one thing to click? Yeah. And it just doesn't? I felt it was... Big relief. No, it was just like, what the hell have we been doing? Like, how did we get this wrong? Like, the rejection, yeah. 
but chin up. The only launch pad we were, we worked hard, prepared, looked at their criteria, put everything in place, spent a whole lot of money on legal. There's something when you start up a project in a space called the legal opinion of yeah. tokens, which shows your token is not a, a security. Yeah. That costs money. Mm. You know, went to um, a legal firm in London, five figures was the cost. And we were spending money. So so originally I bootstrapped the company, um, sold a couple of <laughs> virtual lands <laughs> to get it up, uh, remortgaged a couple of my investment properties as well. And, you know, you know, put some money to get a, a team, you know, a young team together. And then coming back to the fundraising, we found those guys at DeFi Live in London in 2021, um, you know, reached out to us to say, hey, we like what you're doing. Let's have a conversation. You know, they looked at our tokenomics. So we raised funds through token sales. So in the blockchain world, you could do tokens or you could do equity, you could do both, right? And we did tokens. And those guys introduced us to some other guys and those guys introduced us to some other guys. And at the end of the day, we had seven launch pads. So we went from rejection of one to plus seven. Mm. And it was it was just incredible. Like everyone wanted a conversation. I think what kind of also accelerated it was, I think late summer that year, Facebook changed their name to Meta. There were a lot of play to end games, a lot of metaverse quotes unquote coming out saying they're doing X and the momentum was there, right? And weren't at the time in, well, I don't know if we're in a bear market now, but crypto was still going up. You know, Bitcoin was thriving to 50, 60 grand. Everyone had money, right? So it was more of, okay, let's just check which projects make sense. Let's look at the teams and then jump in. And I think that was part of the catalyst for fundraising for us. But the the, the pressure, the time, you know, times I'm, I'm on calls with Asia, 2 a.m. UK time, with Canada, it was just odd hours, like, you know, and I didn't mentally prepare myself for that. I was just like, hey, let's just go, let's just go, let's just go, let's just go. And it, it took a toll, but after I was raised, it was like, because when we started, one of the guys we got introduced to was like, Jimmy, raising money is hard. Sorry, raising money is easy. I was like, what are you talking about? Like, <laughs> I've been trying to raise money like the last six months. and And then when we raised money, I was like, shit, raising money is easy. The hard part is building. So hiring the team, yeah. putting the vision, yeah. internal politics, marketing, like it's- All the things a normal yeah, company has to it's do like, with. It's like, it's just nonstop. Like even when we reach a huddle where we've released product, it's like, oh yeah, how do we get customers? How do we retain customers? It's like, I'm like, guys, I just want to be a kid again. <laughs> <laughs> so okay, so, so how much money did you raise? So we did two point one million um, through the public sale. Dollars. Dollars. Yes. Dollars. Okay. Um, and um, we've been quite prudent with it in the sense that, from a resourcing perspective, we've we've gone through high cost, low cost location, nearshore, offshore, and you know remote as well. Our team is fully remote. We have a small office in Dubai. How many people are part of your team? So we're 31 now. Okay. And so you, you're able to raise money, which gives you this runway for you to be able to spend on the things that are important to develop Correct. to ve develop this, this vault hill out. Yeah. What's gonna be really interesting for me, Okay, and take me, just take yeah. me, because it's probably best we just use me. What's going to be interesting for me and how am I going to benefit from what you're doing? Great. So we, we've looked at the market, we've looked at the industry, right? And we've positioned Voltil quite strategically, right? To look at, you talked about earlier, you know, should people invest in the hardware, you know, all of that stuff. Now we've looked at it from 
a need basis, right? So if you want to come into the metaverse, what do you need? What do you need to know? And how do you do it? So how to get out? How do you get out? Exactly. <laughs> how do you exit as well? Um, so a couple of companies specialize in, oh, we just provide the technology. You go figure out what you want to do. Come to us. We'll build for you. A couple of tech um, companies also specialize in the marketing. Would hype your NFT project. Would do whatever, you know, guerrilla marketing, growth hacking. Hey, whatever you call it. Again, across the whole sphere, there is a, a service and a product and an industry to be serviced, right? And what we have is a 360 product. So within our product ecosystem of Walter, we have four products, right? And each of them touch each, each other and provide a 360 service for any and everyone that wants to come into the metaverse. So the first is metaverse as a product. Eventually, it will become a platform. So in this, we have the virtual land as NFTs. We have the no-code builder tool. So if you want to build this nice, amazing villa by yourself, basic stuff, you could do it yourself with our no-code builder tool when it's deployed. But if you now want to add like the Burj Khalifa on top of your villa and then add a bit of Big Ben, hmm, come to us, product number four, XR Consulting will do that for you, right? And then the last within the metaverse is the VR headsets, right? So we've, we've taken the cost off and partnered with HTC. And for every virtual land anyone buys within our metaverse, you get the hardware. So again, it's adoption, it's education, and how to make yourself sufficient. So how do you price it? Good question. So we've looked through a number of way, a number of things, right? We're a business, we're not for charity, we need to make a profit, right? We've looked through the cost of production from the smart contracts, the art, the design, the marketing, the advertising, business development, legal, regulation, all of the stuff, right? We've looked through the burn rate of the organization, we've looked through hardware cost, and we've looked at potential future revenue and income and added it together and then said, hey, for this lifetime of three and a half years when we're doing this, this is how we price this to create a healthy investment for our investors as well as the organization to be profitable. And then post three and a half years, these are the kind of things, product and services, so things like leasing, renting, that we'll put in place to sustain the company, you know, for another 10, 15, 20 years. Again, the, the industry is changing. It's fast paced. There's technology coming out every other day. So we need to be quite resilient to pivot to say, hey, we had the strategic direction for year one. Oh, year two has come. Facebook has done this or Apple has reduced this. The market is going to go in there. All right, let's pivot to what we're doing to, you know, support that we can't do everything but you price based around all of your costs and to be a profitable business but how do you then compare so you, you also look at what the competition is doing right so in the space if we even focus on one of the product lines the metaverse which one of the sub product lines is virtual land right virtual land in the central land goes for about twenty thousand a piece virtual land in Somium space goes for about ten to twelve thousand, right? So again, it's not looking at what your competition is doing and then saying, "Hey, how do I price correctly?" Now we've started off our land at two thousand dollars because we worked out the cost as at where we are and where the market is, the industry is, the price point for people to come in to say, "Hey, this is quite affordable for what you get and where mm. we're trying to go to." And then hopefully, hey, you never know. Next year it might be twenty thousand or thirty thousand dollars a piece of land. And the, the idea of scarcity brings that price hike or price increment in as the, 
as we go on, you know, we made a business plan to do this over a three and a half year period. We're not just selling all our land in the first month or the first year. So again, it's looking at all of that and pricing it competitively to be, you know, to have an edge in the market. How many land parcels will there be in total? 10,000. And how many have you sold? Uh, good question, 128. And how will you sell them over the course of the, 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 the coming months and years? What's, what's, what's the structure? You sell a certain amount every quarter or you, how do you do it? So we're, we're working on that. I'm not gonna tell you I know exactly that. Now, the reason why we've not set out a plan to say, hey, every quarter we sell X is fundamentally that when, when you buy land, the question is, what do I do with it? Mm -hmm. Now, in the background, the team is building, you know, the no-code builder tool, building in functionalities for content creators to be able to import stuff and design stuff, right? Once we get to that point, which we will get to by Q4 this year, in parallel, we'll start working through land deployment. So the more customers we have and the more need for land, we start to increase and we start to deploy okay. land. I get this. So basically people can buy land, but they can't put much on it right now. Correct. Okay. You want to be in a position where they can buy land and they can spend more money on putting the things on the land. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Exactly. And then that's more profitable for Value. you as a business. Correct. Okay. And then they've got more to trade as well, essentially. Exactly. Okay. Got exactly. It. So ju we, ju we don't just want to say, hey, here's land. And you're like, oh, I need to wait a year. Oh, what can I do? Nothing. But Snoop Dogg didn't move in next door either. He could. He could. Anyone could. Anyone could. Tell me, tell me about how this is. A, is it, how old are you? Thirty-four. It, it's complicated. You're talking to people about something they don't understand. You're trying to get people excited about something that you're excited about, but they don't understand. You really believe in it. It reminds me. Have you heard of a company called Bayut? Yes. Okay, so the founders at BU, uh, I've been fortunate enough to become friends with, and they told me about the first year of raising capital. And so there's three brothers, very smart guys, very, very smart guys. They set this company up and they wanted to raise some money. And they went networking to every single networking event possible for a year. And at the end of the year, they'd attended over 100 events and they hadn't raised a penny. And, they, and I'm like, did you know what you were doing? They went, we didn't have a clue. And so what people will do is, so what they did, sorry, is they got to the end of the year and they're like, we didn't know how to raise money. We didn't know what we were doing. At the end of the year, we'd had all these networking events and it was just like, it was a bit soul destroying. Yeah. And then somebody contacted them a couple of weeks after that year who knew somebody that had attended one of the events to talk to them about the project. Yeah. And they were the first investor. Nice. And so that's how it happened. And that investor then taught them how to go about raising money. Yeah. But up until that point, they didn't know how to do it. And I imagine being that person going night after night, week after week to these events, talking to people, people sitting there going, oh, yeah, as they've got, you know, they're drinking their hand. Oh, that's really interesting. You know, t tell me more about it. And you're telling them about it. And they're like, no, nah. time wasters. Yeah, all those kind of like, yeah, what do you call it? Tire kickers, we call it, don't we? how how relentless you have to be and how disciplined you have to be and how committed you have to be knowing you really believe in something yeah. and you just know it's going to work you just don't know how just yeah. yet without yeah. the money did did you go through those types of emotions yourself did you get to a point at all where you were like Do you know what this isn't worth it for me you know with all my with all my endeavors i'm i'm very driven right so if i if I start something, I want to see through and go for it and get support as much as possible, right? And 
because I strongly believe in Vault Hill, I had the conviction last year, December, to quit my day job. Healthy salary, six figures, London, nice title, nice role, big budget, big team. But for me, I felt there was something else, right? And that was when, you know, I just said, hey, I had to pivot into Voltil full time. I can't do this on the side and all of that good stuff. And yes, in the sense that, did I know everything at once? No, did I know who to talk to, where to go? No. It was all constant learning. You know, at a point, you know, talking about events, at a point I told the team, I'm not doing events for three months because I want to focus on build product. I want to go from going on stage and talking about Voltil as a dream to, hey, here's Voltil. This is a product. You could go in and do X. It's a more compelling narrative. Mm -hmm. And my mom used to say this to me growing up in Yoruba. It's an adage. Um, it's, um, she kokoriyoko ni nigbati orung mole. So it means make hay when the sun shines, yes. you know? So make sure you are pivoting and you're doing as much as possible when you can, you know? For me, you're gonna hate me, but age is on my side a little bit, right? Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, like you said earlier. And for me, it's working hard at this moment in time while I can, you know, raising a young family, you know, being married and, you know, still grafting as much as, you know, to, to change the world, right? Because I'm not doing Voltil to just be profitable, to make money, right? I want to pivot to a place where what we're doing is self-sufficient and helping people in, impacting the world in, in numerous and diverse ways, right? So for me, it's always trying to be the best at what you do and learn from people. Mm, makes sense. I think that energy you have when you're younger keeps you going anyway yeah. because the reality is and you don't see it when you're your age but the reality is this could all go horribly wrong and you'll still be okay what do you think could go wrong with vault hill a couple of things right so one is misalignment of direction right so as we're as we're growing i'm starting to hire senior folks to drive some of my vision and if you if you bring in people that I wouldn't say not align because you bring in people that kind of align to your vision, but it's all about execution, right? If you bring in people that cannot that take too long to execute a vision because of X, Y, and Z, either support, money, tenacity of the team, whatever it is, things start to go wrong, right? So that is one. Um, two is getting profitable in good time, right? You know you. I want to set the stage for founders that start a company and again, not just raise revenue, become profitable, i.e. you're earning more than you're spending, you know, as a business, right? Um, and if we're not able to achieve that, you know, things will go wrong. You know, I need to go start raising money again, which we will do. But um, again, that's for expansion and for more of the stuff we want to build within the vision. Um, so I'd say those are those are the two key things that you know could go wrong, but again, it's now thinking through mitigation plans, you know, risk models as to how to to mitigate these. You've raised a couple of million already. You're well on your way to producing something that's going to be what I believe a rip roaring success. So Jimmy, thank you for coming and sharing your story today and thank telling you. us all about Vault Hill. It's been a lot of fun. <laughs>
If you've enjoyed this episode, then you will have learned two clear things. Number one, a bit more about how the metaverse works and what Vault Hill are doing. And secondly, the journey of an entrepreneur trying to raise money, the struggles he faced, and really wondering whether it was all going to work out. I thoroughly enjoyed talking to Jimmy. I really did. What a great guy. What a great personality and character. If you're listening to this on iTunes, leave me a five-star rating, please. And if you're listening to this on any other podcast app, please leave us some love. Give us some feedback. Tell us what you think of the show. The more you do that, the more reach this show gets, the more people get to see and hear it. And at the end of the day, that's why we do it. So if you can, do it for us, and I'll see you on the next episode.